It's nice to see you again. It's, uh, it's nice to see everybody here. Uh, welcome to Paris Valley Community Church. And um, as I was just telling our, I guess we can call it an in-studio audience, right? As I was just mentioning here, next Sunday, we are going to be live and in person outside. And so we invite you to join us at the corner of Ramona Expressway in Paris Boulevard. Uh, we were there last month, same place. We were last month. We're going to be there again this month. Uh, we did worship night there on uh, Friday. And so if you're familiar with where we've been the last couple of times, we're going to be there again next Sunday at 10 a.m. is when church starts. So bring the family and uh, come out and let's worship together. And we're going to worship outside. Uh, bring your masks um, and uh, let's have a great time of worship next Sunday. So we're looking forward to seeing you, uh, looking forward to seeing you there. If you would open your Bibles with me, uh, we're going to be this morning in the New Testament book of Galatians, as we are continuing in a sermon series called Why It Matters. In this sermon series, we've been looking at this letter that the Apostle Paul has written to the church in Galatia, and he is, he's doing two things in this letter. One, he's teaching them, and two, he's countering arguments from some false teachers that have come in. Now, Paul has already been to this land. He had come in and he had taught the gospel. He had taught them about Jesus. And what happened was once he moved on, he's a missionary. So he stays in one place for a little while and then he moves on to another location. Well, when he left, a group came behind him called the Judaizers. These are, now, these are people who believe in Jesus, but they're Jewish. They're, they, were, they grew up in the Jewish faith and they come out of Jerusalem and they said, okay, yeah, what Paul says is good. But in order to be a Christian, you first have to be a Jew, and you need to follow all of the Jewish laws. You need to follow all of the customs that came in what's called the law, the law that was handed down to Moses that we see right before the Israelites go into the promised land. And so this is one of the, the points of the book is, is Paul is arguing, and he's telling them, no, you don't have to follow all these, these rules because that was part of an old covenant. We've talked about the word covenant over the last few weeks. A covenant is, um, uh, think of a marriage covenant, okay? A vow, a promise. God made a promise to Abraham, a vow, a covenant. Made a, a promise to, to Moses and the Israelites, a, a vow, a covenant. And so now you and I all live under a new covenant. There's a new covenant, a new promise, a new vow in the blood of Jesus. And so Paul is telling the, the church in Galatia that, no, I, 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 don't want you to, I don't want you to think that you have to go back to this, to this Jewish law and live under that first before you can come under the blood of Christ. It's this false doctrine that, that Paul is looking to really weed out. And he's continuing to teach these, uh, the members of, of the churches in Galatia as Paul moves on. If you can imagine... The first time that Paul was there was the first time that, that some of these people had actually heard about Jesus. It was the first time that they had heard about the saving grace that, that, that God brings. And so they're young in their faith. You know anyone who has ever been young in their faith and has been tempted maybe to hear somebody new that's talking and, well, you don't know any different. Uh, this guy looks like a preacher. This guy looks like he knows what he's talking about, Right? Well, that can certainly happen there. Here it happens all the time when people go to look at the, the gospel of YouTube, right? You, you can find anyone that will tell you anything that you want them to tell you, right? Let me warn you, it's not the place to go for your gospel. 
Thanks. I appreciate the amen from the back of the room. So, but, but it can happen. False teachers look like teachers. They really do. And so Paul is saying, I know that they're telling you about Jesus, but they're off base. They're teaching you something that, that, isn't, uh, that isn't true. And the only way that this letter makes sense to us today is if we understand who Paul's original audience is. The churches in Galatia. Galatia is uh, um, it's in modern-day Turkey. Okay, so Paul would have have traveled by foot into this area, and these are people who did not grow up in a Jewish religion. These were were pagans. There would have been numerous religions in this area. So, what Paul is teaching them is new to them, to most of them, not all of them, but but to most of them, it's new. And that might not be unlike your situation. You might be somebody who didn't grow up going to church every Sunday. Maybe you're somebody who didn't grow up with, with any religion in your home. Maybe you were in a home that did everything they could to stay away from religion. Maybe football was your Sunday religion or some sort of sports. There might be some similarities between the way that you were brought up and those who are part of the church in Galatia. That maybe in your adult life, you're just coming to Christ. Maybe all of this, you look at yourself now as a young Christian, although you're mature, maybe you're in your 30s or 40s, but you're coming to Christ and you're young in your walk. That's exactly the audience that Paul is talking to. And if you can imagine, they heard what Paul said the first time when he came through, and they get it. Somebody else comes behind them, behind Paul, And he's taking these people off message. And Paul is writing to say, hey, you know what? Let's get you back on message. Let's talk about this a little bit more. Many of us have been in the situation where we can recognize a time in our life, that moment in our life when things changed from B.C. to A.D. There is a before Christ in all of our lives. Amen? Amen. Okay. And there is an A.D., a year of our Lord, time in all of our lives. And that might, that might have been when you were a child. But that might have been in your 20s. That might have been in your 30s. But at some point, you can think back and you remember B.C. in your own life, before Christ. And maybe you've wondered that, you know, I just came to my faith a few years ago, and all these other people at the church that have been Christians for They've been Christians for so much longer than I am. Um, You know, they're so much closer to God than I am that they've got more experience in this than I do. And maybe, maybe you feel lesser than others at the church. Maybe we can feel lesser than other TV evangelists or, or, or preachers or, or other people who have the strength and the, and, and to go out and minister to people on the street. Some, that's their gift. Sometimes people have that gift. And we think, wow, I'm, I'm really young in my faith that there's others that are closer, that are closer to God because they've been doing this. They've, they've been in their faith longer. And I want you to see what Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says, if you are a believer in Jesus, stop right there. I'm going to give you a really deep context that Paul is going to talk about. Come with me. We're in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start this morning in verse number 26. Paul writes this. He says, 
For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no slave, there is no free, there is no male, there is no female, since you all are one in Christ Jesus. I want you to know something. This is point number one in your notes. For those of you taking notes this morning, write this down. Christians are not part of a club. They are part of a family. You're not part of a club. In Jewish culture, the religious elite would have been those that we've referred to as, as the Pharisees or the, the Sadducees. There were some, some, some guys in the town that you would know the religious elite as they moved around town. It would be pretty common because the Pharisees, they would wear all black and, and they would go out to pray really loud on the streets so everyone knew who they were. They would uh, all come together and, and sit in, in, a, in a circle and make their decisions and, and talk of, of things. You knew when the Pharisees were around, they were part of an institution. It was as if they were as part of a, of a country club, right? You've got your membership card and, and you can show up, but if you're not part of the club, you're not getting in, right? So there's like, I, I don't know, I, I, I think they had a secret handshake. I don't know, the Bible doesn't say it, but I mean, if, if you're, you have to have a, if you're a club like that, you should have a secret handshake, shouldn't you? Yeah, see, Paul's doing the, this, yeah. I mean, you, you'd think, secret handshake. But see, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's drawing this connection between new Christians, and that might be you, and he's telling them through faith, they're sons of God in, in Jesus. It's not because of works. It's not because they belong to a party. It's not because of where their mom went to church or where their grandmother went to church. It's not because of their family upbringing at all. It is because they have faith. It's because of their faith that they are sons of God in Jesus. They didn't have to pass a religious test. It's not because they know somebody that can get them into the cool kids club. Uh Uh-uh. Those who were slaves and have come to Jesus, son of God. Those who are free and you come to Jesus, sons and children of God. Those who are men, those who are women and come to Jesus, children of God. Because everyone is in Jesus. There's a difference between being part of a club and being part of a family. I don't know how many of you on your, um, on your key ring have this little tag. You have a little tag, and when you get to the food for less, right, or you get to the supermarket and you scan the tag, and you get these fuel points, right? And then you go to the gas station, and they take a few cents off of your, of, of, of your gas that you're putting into, into your car. You're part of a club, like anyone can become part of the, that club. You just you give them some information, and they're going to give you this, and now you save a little bit of money. You're part of the money-saving club, right? But is that club personal? That's really not personal. You can be a member of the club at Albertsons, but... There's no one there at the grocery store that is ever going to be your shoulder to cry on. It's not going to happen. 
No checker from Stater Brothers is ever going to come over to your house just to talk when you're having a bad day. You know why? Because that's not what clubs do. That's what family members do. That's, that's a tool. That is, that is an action for family. Paul says you are all sons of God in Jesus. Now, I don't know that in 2020 I can politically correctly say sons of God, but I'll tell you that's what the Bible says, so that's what I'm going to say. But I think we know it means you are children of God. Because of the death of Christ and because of God's grace, we're all children of God. I want you to see what the Apostle John writes. He's writing this in John chapter 1. We're in verse number 12 and 13. Watch this. John says, But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh, but of, or of the will of man, but of God. It's not those who come from a specific family line anymore. And, and, and this is a big thing here. At, in John's time, when Paul is writing this letter, this is a big deal because the, the Jews, and, and, and this was the culture that God set up. The idea, well, if you're outside of the Jewish line, then you're not part of the family. God set up the the nation of Israel for a purpose. They were to be ministers to the rest of the world. They were to be priests to the rest of the world. But John said, did you receive Jesus? And if the answer is yes, child of God, end of sentence. Just like that. Did you receive Jesus? Has nothing to do with your family. Has nothing to do with how many doors you knock on has nothing to do with your ability to do better or be better than somebody else. No. It's only because of God that you are a son of God. It's that same power. It's that same power that raised Jesus from the dead that is in you as being a child of God. Paul continues this theme. He writes in, in, in Romans. You'll see a lot of this theme in Romans. So I'm going to ask you to read that this week. Read the book of Romans. You'll, um, you're going to get a lot out of that. But I'm in Romans chapter 8, verse number 14. Paul writes this. He says, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffered with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Sons of God, adopted. Paul is saying that you didn't receive rules from God that said, I want you to live by these rules to obtain your own salvation. He says, no, you, you others in the past, they were a slave to the rules. Whenever we're seeing this term being a slave, what he's referring to is, is the nation of Israel. They, they were becoming a slave to the rules, trying, trying, trying to, to make it and to be good enough. But the gospel says that 
You're not living by these rules for your own account, but rather you received adoption. And then it uses this terms that says in the words, it says that, so you would cry out, Abba, Father. The original language is actually the same words. Abba is a, it's almost a, a small child that would be calling out to, to daddy. Okay? So it's a very affectionate word from a small child. And I want you to put yourself in that position of affectionately calling out to God and say, Daddy, Father. When we look at it like this, doesn't that change the relationship a little bit? You start to see God as Father. Some of you have had run-ins. Maybe you've had moments. Maybe you know people who have been involved in in adoption. Maybe you've adopted. Maybe you were adopted. Some of you might have even adopted a mom. Is there, is there anyone in your life or somebody you know, you, you say, you know what, she, that's not my biological mom, but she raised me. That's my mom, right? Yeah, we've got one back here in the back. Is, um, you know, we'll, we'll see that, like, yeah, she's not my, she's not my bio sister, but, man, I was raised with her. That's my sister, right? That's adoption. And if you're in that situation, I want you to know something, that, that adoption Adoption does not mean lesser than. If you're a child that has been adopted into the, into the family, my parents brought, a, uh, brought my sister into the family through adoption in the, in the 80s. My sister is no less my sister. That's my, that's my sister. Adoption doesn't mean less than. Actually, adoption is glorious. I want you to see this. And, and we're going to put you back into the situation here in a moment, okay? See, Adoption, to those who are adopted, it is, it's a glorious moment, and, and, and it leads to a change. You and I, see, we're not, we're not Jews. We didn't grow up under the law of Moses, okay? So how are we to be part of this family of God? How are we to do that? Adoption, Right? God is adopting us into the family through Christ. You're just as if, we're just as if we are a naturally born son or daughter. But see, here's the cool thing about being adopting and adopted, and this is why it is so glorious, is because children adopted are hand-picked. They are children who many times, and even, even in our current culture, that parents... If a parent, parents are working to adopt a child, they put time and they put effort and they put legal um, paperwork into, they put finance into this child, this one, to adopt. About 15 years ago, a, um, a, a, another couple, they were friends of mine, they were working to adopt, specifically to adopt overseas. They were going to adopt out of Russia. They themselves had no ties to Russia, none. But they wanted to adopt from Russia. And this required about seven or eight different flights over to Russia. And in their situation, it's different than our situation. Here we have foster care. There they have orphanages. 
And it would have been exactly like maybe you would have seen in the movies where you would walk in and here's kids. And between the parents and the caseworkers, the social workers, it was almost literally picking out the right child that was going to go home with them someday. And once that that determination had been made, there were flights back and forth and a lot of paperwork and a lot of finance. But once they came home, when this child was brought home, this child was their son. This child was no less of a son because he came from a different nation or a different country or, because, or, or that he isn't even biological. There is so much time, effort, and love that has, been, that has been put into this process to bring this child into the family. There is so much time, effort, and love that has been put into bringing you into the family of God. Handpicked. I don't know how you look at your faith or how you look at your walk with God, but I want you to look at your walk with God as hand-picked because that's exactly how God looks at your walk with God. Hand-picked. You imagine God reaching down and, yeah, come here. You come with me. You are my child. You come with me. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to come back to verse number 29. Paul says, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now, I say that as long as there is an heir, I say as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time is set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. So Paul is reminding them that, that before Christ, B.C., in their life, okay, they were under the elements, the rules of the, of the law, of the Jewish law. They were under, that's where salvation came through the law. But here he says, if you're adopted into the family, you are an heir. This is, this is a really important point. Point number two in your notes is this. As a member of the family, your name has been written into the Father's will. As a member of the family, your name has been written into the Father's will. It's a little bit of a play on words here. Because you are here. The Father's will. Well, that's where the inheritance is, right? How many of you maybe as Christians think about your walk and wonder? You wonder if you're good enough. You wonder if you know as much as the next Christian in your house. You say, oh, I can't, I can't recite as many verses as, as, as they can. Like, eh, you know what? I don't know where I rank in the whole children of God thing. Your name is in the will. You, the inheritance, you are an heir. It doesn't matter if, 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 if you are a child. It doesn't matter if you are naturally born. It doesn't matter if you are adopted in. You are a child of God. You are an heir of the promise. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. 
If you remember the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Jews who are directly descendants. They were the, the Israelites, Jews, and Hebrews. I'll use those terms interchangeably, okay? So they're the ones who came out of Egypt, okay? In the Exodus, they came out of Egypt. They're with Moses out in the desert for 40 years or so before they go into the promised land. Moses gets in trouble, so he can't go in. But before he can't go in, God gives him the law. He gives the law to the nation of Israel, and these are all the rules that you are to live by. Live by these, be my people, I will be your God. It's a conditional rules. It says, if you obey these rules, I will be your God and I will bless you. If you don't, then curses come to you. You want to know what they chose? You would think it's like God and blessing or disobedience and curses. <sighs> disobedience and curses. Uh, that, that, that's what happened. And, and so... The covenant, the, the, the vow, the promise that was given through Moses, it kind of exposes sin because it's these rules, right? What happens is that the Jews, being children of the, of the group that comes out of Egypt and, and goes into the promised land, they were given these rules. These, this group of people, though, is, they're also descendants of Abraham. God's covenant with Abraham 450 years before Moses just he just told Abraham he says I'm going to be your God and you're going to be the father of many many nations this is an eternal promise that he gave to Abraham what Paul is saying is he's saying if you are a believer in Christ you are adopted into the the family of Abraham and into the promise of Abraham which was promised to Abraham way before the, the covenant with Moses. This is, where, this is where the Old Testament study and the Old Testament timeline really becomes a, just an amazing study. It really is. So take some time and dive in because there's, it's just really neat to see the way that God had things planned before time began. And even what he's doing now in your life can tie back to what he did in Abraham's life. We can, we can find direct ties from what you're going through and the faith that you have right now, we can find direct ties to Moses, direct ties to Abraham because of God's promise. Paul holds this same argument with the church in Ephesus. I know we've, we've uh, talked about a few different churches, the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is also in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's on the West Coast, and it was another place that, that Paul had gone and, and had started a church in that area as well. And so Paul also tells them, he's going to say, I know you didn't understand the mystery of Christ. Now, let's start learning about this, this, this mystery of Christ and, and what it means to be a follower. Paul is saying, you're not going to get that from just the Jews and the Pharisees that are coming through. They didn't know Jesus. Let's see what, uh, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3. We're in verse number 4. Paul says, By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Paul is telling Gentiles... 
Okay? His audience are not Jewish, they're Gentiles. They, they, there's pagan religions all over the place. But there's this idea, the Gentiles have this idea that, oh, only the Jews are going to be able to, to find salvation through this book of rules. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the case. He's saying, you are Gentiles, but you are now, you are co-heirs. You are brothers and sisters. So that, that wall is broken down. The Gentiles are co-heirs, back in verse number 6, members of the same body and partners in the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Gentiles are co-heirs. Everyone here in this room today is going to fall into the category of Gentiles. You, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, are co-heirs of the kingdom and the promises of God. Amen? Amen. You know what that means? That means you have all of the rights. You have all the rights. All of the rights of, of, of naturally born brothers and sisters. You don't get there by your works. You get there by your faith. And all of this is yours. Just like anyone else's. There is no difference. The writer of the book of Hebrews, he's going to, he's going to use the same argument. And why am I bringing this up out of three different books? Why are we bringing it up out of Galatians and out of Hebrews and out, and out of uh, Ephesians? I could have brought it up out of more. But here's the point, is that this point is very important. That's why we see it more than once. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 15 says, Therefore, he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance, because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. Jesus, this mediator. See, Moses was the mediator of the Sinai covenant, the Mosaic covenant, that covenant that he gave to the Israelites. He was the mediator. You had, you had God the Father giving the covenant to Moses, who's the mediator giving it to the people. God gives us this covenant through his Son, God the Son in the flesh, God in the flesh on earth, gives the covenant to you and I so that we can receive the promise of the internal inheritance. It says, where a will exists. Wow. I don't, I don't know if you've ever wondered if... I wonder if Aunt Gretchen's going to write me into the will. Right? You ever wondered that? You don't have to nod your head because Aunt Gretchen might be watching today. So, you know, you don't have to. But let me tell you something. If your name is written down in the book, your name is written in the will that brings all of the inheritance of the kingdom of God to you. Amen. Just as Moses was that first mediator... Jesus, God the Son in the flesh, is our mediator. 
if you're that person who didn't grow up in church, we talked about this person before who didn't grow up in church, wasn't there every Sunday, and you wonder about the other Christians in your life. You know, when we get to heaven, I'm sure their mansion's going to be bigger than mine. Mm-mm. No. Co-heirs. Brothers and sisters in Christ. You and I, we're, we're, we're modern-day sinners. And we're co-heirs. We are in the will. We, we are members of the kingdom. We might not be miracle workers. We might not be evangelists like the Apostle Paul who walked over 10,000 miles spreading the word to many different nations and many different people. None of us were sitting around the the table for the Last Supper. None of us were physically there when Jesus was, was on the cross. None of us were in the garden when Jesus was arrested or none of us lopped off the ear of a guard or tried to walk on water with Jesus. None of us did that. But you know what? You are still Abraham's seed and you have and you you have you have a kingdom at your disposal. You are an heir to the eternal inheritance. I don't know about how you feel about your faith, but God feels deeply about your faith. Because you were handpicked. You look at people in the Bible and you look at people like Peter and Paul and Matthew and Bartholomew and you say, wow, pillars of the faith. Man, they, I mean, they got a book in the Bible. Yeah, they've, wow, these guys are close to God. When I get to heaven, you know, they've, you know their mansion's going to be right there, right next door, I'm sure. A lot of times we look at others in our faith and we say, yeah, um, I'm good, but I'm not that good. You know what? God says you're that good. God says you are my child. You are an heir. Don't look at people in our world who, who have you know, big names in the faith, uh, you know, B- Billy Graham or Rick Warren or, or others who might, might uh, make their way across the nation. Heirs? Sure. Children of God? Sure. Are you right there with, with them as children of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want you to think of yourself as any less than a, a Christian. I want, I want to ask parents. Parents with more than one child, right? You know that your kids come up to you at some point. And they say, well, which one of us do you love the most, right? And you don't want to tell them the truth. Maybe you tell them the truth, but you're not telling them. Okay, so I do love you all the same, but there are some times that you just drive me mad. You drive me mad. But I love you all the same. I wonder if God does the same thing. I wonder if he looks, looks at us, all of the children, all of his children, and he says, there are some of you that just drive me mad. Hmm. But I love you all the same. I love you all the same. But sometimes I just need you to go to your aunt's house for the whole weekend. Uh huh. Sometimes I need a break. I love you. I need a break. 
Would you, would you imagine what life would be like if God said, you know what, I need a break. This weekend I'm not answering any prayers. Uh-uh, I'm, I'm, che- I'm checking out. I, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll see you on Monday. Isn't it amazing to think that every single one of us could drive God nuts and he never takes a vacation, right? I mean, he's still there. He's still there parenting. He, he, he never... He never runs the shower way too long, right? Just, just leave me alone and need some time. Uh-uh. Always there. Even though you and I didn't grow up under the law, we weren't walking around in black robes like the Pharisees. We weren't, we weren't out on the, the corner wailing. Maybe we were watching football on Sundays. Maybe that's where we were. B.C., in our life. You come to Jesus. You come and God says, there's my new child. I don't love you any less. You are a child of God and you are an heir to the eternal glory. As a matter of fact, I just think, I, I, I think there is an amazing amount of glory to those who are adopted. Every single one of us adopted. You know what adopted means? Wanted. Wanted. Because there is effort that has been put into bringing adoption into the family. Follow me back to Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4 through 5. We're almost done. I'll wrap up in just a moment. Paul writes this, When the time came... When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Point number three in your notes. We've gone over this already this morning. Just like an orphan, you were handpicked by your father in heaven. You're handpicked. You don't just stumble around in, in a consciousness of darkness and stumble into God and get lucky. Yay, look what I found, God. Uh Uh-uh. Hand-picked. Hand-made. God wants you. God made you. God loves you. He says, when the time had come, which tells us there was a time that, that it wasn't right before Jesus was here, People were living under the law. God had given them rules, given them chances to come back and obey the rules. When they didn't, he dispersed them. He said, okay, um, there's punishment that comes. The northern part, they got taken captive. The southern part of Israel, they got taken captive. They came back into the land, tried to rebuild, still wouldn't stay to God's laws. At some point, God says, that's it. Okay. We need to put this other plan into action. And what that requires, that requires my son. God in the flesh, born of a woman, born of a woman who is under the law. He's going to be raised under the law, but he's coming to redeem those who are under the law. Give them a way out of the slavery of obeying rules by what? Faith. That's it. Faith. By faith, you now receive adoption as 
sons. Because the time had come. We're going to finish up in Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes this, And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. And God has made you an heir. Here's the final point. Final point in your notes this morning is this. As a believer in Jesus, you have full rights to the kingdom of God. Full rights. There is, there is no forgiveness that God is holding on to those who are holier than thou. There is no grace that he is holding on for people who read their Bible more than you do. There are no blessings that he is holding on just for, for his children that can run faster, can knock on more doors, can, can bring more people into the kingdom, those who have a, a gift to talk to others. There's, there's nothing that he is holding on to Christians that you feel are better than you are. You are all sons and you are all heirs. There is not one that is better than you are. There is not one that is loved more than you are. You are so special to your Father. You are so beautiful to God. And being that you are adopted, you are wanted. You are wanted. Not only are you wanted in the family, you are wanted by the family. Your brothers and sisters in Christ here and are watching right here all want you. They all want to know you better. They all want to walk with you. They all want to spend more quality time with you just as the Father does. You are part of a family. This isn't a club. There's no scan card when you come to church. You just scan in, we get your number, we get your attendance, and then you know we'll give you a gift certificate for some gas. Uh-uh. That's a club. This isn't a club. You're part of the family of God. So let me ask this. As a member of the family, what could we bring to other members of the family that's different than coming to a club? When you're part of a club, when you're part of a gym, when you're part of a golf club, it's there's something that you could do to serve. It's like, hey, I bought in. I can come and I can play golf whenever I want. I can satisfy my own needs. Part of a family is we look out for each other. Amen? Amen. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That means we're taking care of each other. We are the ones who you could lean on when you're having a bad day. We are the ones who you could talk to and say, you know what, brother? I'm struggling with this. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in your faith because you have brothers and sisters in Christ here. We're all walking the same road and we're all sinners. No one has a halo. No one does. So as we go today, I want you to know a couple of things. One, you're adopted. Two, you're wanted. Three, you're part of a family. But there are others in the family that are looking for you, looking to you for support. 
There's somebody who's down. There's somebody that's looking to you as an example. Imagine that. You might be really early in your faith walk. You might say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good enough. They're better than, look, they're, they're better than I am. Look at all that Bible memorization they've done. But you know what? There is somebody that is looking at you and saying, wow, look at him. Wow, look at her. You're an example. It's part of the family. We need to take care of each other. That's what we do. That's what we do as a family. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for adoption. I want to thank you that every one of us is part of the family and has brothers and sisters that are part of this family that that we get to spend time with, that we get to enjoy the fellowship of, and we get to go into this world with them to find our new brothers and sisters in Christ. That our job isn't just to come to the family gathering and, and just eat and be merry, no. Our job is to come to the family gathering and then to bring others to the table. Lord, this morning I thank you for wanting us. I mean, looking at us, you know us. Look at us. We're not holy. In all of our sin, you died for us. That just, we're not worthy of that. But you loved us that much. Lord, this morning I thank you for this church family and I thank you for those who are here and I ask that you just bless those that are here in the room and those who are watching. And Lord, let us this week reach out to somebody in our church family because somebody needs us. Somebody needs to hear from us. Somebody is having a bad day and doesn't need to be part of a club but needs a brother or sister to call. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that even in a time of quarantine and worldwide panic and a time where a time where we have to create some separation that you don't leave us. And we thank you that you'll bring our family in Christ even closer together in these moments. Lord, this morning, we ask that you hear our worship and that you feel our love coming back to you as strong as you're sending it to us. Lord, this morning, we love you and we praise you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.